This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Peter White. Top Gear's not the only show in need of a new presenter this week, but thankfully Jake Cantor is only moving house rather than beating up broadcast staff. This week, Talking TV goes global. We've spoken to Soren Sveistrup, the creator of The Killing, about his new production company. We're also looking ahead to MIP TV in Cannes. We're flying over to New York for Discovery's glamorous Upfronts event, and we're crossing the Atlantic with news of BBC drama boss Ben Stevenson's forthcoming adventure in LA. Also on the programme, we'll preview BBC Three's big-budget drama Tatao and the return of Channel 4's The Island with Bear Grylls. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Joining me in the studio this week is Outline Productions Managing Director Laura Mansfield. Laura, hello. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. Uh, congratulations, uh, the first time we've had you on since uh, your appointment as Vice Chair of PACT. Have you shaken things up yet? Uh, not yet, but it's just started yesterday, but I've chaired my first board meeting and it seems to have gone okay, so fingers crossed for the future. They weren't too unruly in that? No. It's a, it's a terribly well-behaved but really amazing group of producers who I have huge respect for, but there are a lot of different views around the table, which is always interesting. Terribly well-behaved. I don't believe that for a moment. <laughs> we also have uh, World Media Rights Chief Executive Alan Griffiths. Hello, Alan. Hiya, Peter. Last time I spoke to you, you were jumping on a, a plane. You were in an airport. Where, uh, where were you jetting off to or from? Oh, gosh, I know. I was coming back from a conference, but you're right, I live on aircraft. That's uh, to do with our business model because, for example, we have four series in production at the moment, but all of them are for America. None are for Channel 4, the BBC or ITV. That's the way we operate. But uh, it always amuses me that a third of uh, the output of American Heroes Channel, the most patriotic uh, channel on air in America, comes from... uh, the third floor above Barclays Bank in King Street, Hammersmith. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they'd love to hear that. So first up this week, we are looking at Discovery Communications' upfront event in New York. Chief Executive David Zaslav held on the importance of the company's international reach, and it appears that more than half of the 37 new commissions that it announced this week are either produced by UK Indies or produced by US production companies owned by UK Indies, um, including one from from Alan's World Media Rights. Uh, Brits are taking over the world, aren't we, Alan? I think it's more that uh, we speak the English language. Americans have always very kindly been in awe of uh, what we can do in the creative industries. The other great thing about America, and the most important thing, is that if you have a good idea and if you already have a series on air that succeeded, they will see you at 48 hours notice because they cannot afford not to. So it's really a progression. In other words, if you like um, British TV and most Americans staying in hotels here do, they will commission from you. And they are willing they don't cancel those meetings when you're about to hop on the plane? Nope. Nope. Um, I mean, in the early days, uh, you know, before we were established, we used to have a bit of a struggle. But uh, no, I mean, everyone will see us now because of what I call the uh, grey area phenomenon. If you're running an American network, you've got grey areas on your schedule six months down the line, which are shows you have to commission. Uh, whereas in the UK, really, you have to cancel a show in order to commission a new one. And because there's this continuous pressure to commission new material that works, they have to go to the best places in the world to do it. And that's what happens. And the budgets are, are much bigger, aren't they? 
We have a very interesting finance model. Ours is more like a film model, so that we bolt things together. I would call us extremely price competitive. <laughs> and Laura, you've always looked globally. Is, is the US is somewhere that you're uh, you're keen to get outline into, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And we've been, you know, uh, achieving quite a lot of success out in America, certainly in the last year with two big pilots and a really exciting series, which is in a rolling green light for a broadcaster out there. I mean, our focus is primarily in the UK, however, because our business model is that we originate formats and shows here and that primarily we're looking to exploit those formats globally. But interestingly, recently what we've been doing is taking original new ideas straight out to America and, you know, really getting a lot of traction. So we're trying to build that part of what we do. So I'll I'll be uh, seeing Alan later on to get some advice. And, And rolling green light? It means that you are in production until you are killed. <laughs> so at the moment Doesn't we are alive. Forever, <laughs> at the moment we are alive. And you've looked at uh, the network model as well as the cable uh, channel. Mm. So is there much difference between taking a, a show to an ABC or an NBC than mm. taking it to a Discovery? No, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's about relationships and it's about fit. And so what we're not doing is spreading ourselves too thin at all. So like I said, our, our primary focus is here, but what we're doing is looking to grow in America. And we've we've identified networks, some networks, some cable, where we've got good relationships, where people like the style of what we're bringing them, and that's where we're looking to build our ideas. And you're not the only uh, Brits going out to America. This week we've seen Ben Stevenson confirm his move to to Los Angeles um, to join J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot. Uh, Alan, do you think he'll be a success in the States? I think it's particularly challenging for your first American gig to be in L.A. I mean, remember, in L.A. you can never have a bad meeting. (laughs) The sun shines every day and you go into that meeting in Santa Monica and shutters on the beach and they pour honey over you, and your concept is the boldest, the greatest they've ever seen. You come away really enthused, and then for six months or for eternity, you hear nothing. So I'm always very interested in particularly going to L.A., which is particularly tough, very cabalistic, and very concerned with what I would call American exceptionalism. In other words, ideas that work for Americans, by Americans, you know, with Americans. I think the East Coast is much easier because, strangely, that 3,000 miles means we have a lot of shared values. But once you get out to L.A., that's bandit territory. We could talk about the pouring honey over you later, uh, Alan. But, uh, <laughs> uh, Laura, uh, obviously not a drama producer, but do you think, mm. uh, do you think the, Brits, uh, the British eccentricity can work over in the States? I think so. I mean, I think it's also why people from other countries do well here. It's about being an outsider. And sometimes being an outsider gives you a perspective on the culture, on the kind of accepted mores of behaviour, on the assumptions people make that mean that you can kind of throw bombs in that perhaps people who are sort of taking those assumptions can't. And I think that that's one of the reasons potentially why as Brits we can come in and have a point of difference and be a bit irreverent and be a bit naughty. But I think we've also got, you know, to your point earlier on about, you know, Raw and these other companies who are achieving huge success with the Discovery Upfronts, we've got a unique creative community here. It's highly competitive. You know, we've got something like 400 indies over here. That is an infrastructure and that's a sort of ecosystem to be guarded and looked after and prized. You know, I think the world is looking at the UK in terms of format creators and creatives and thinking, how do we get a bit of that? You know, what is it that makes 
Brit Creative. And it, and it is the world looking at, at the UK uh, this week. We've uh, we've seen the latest round of consolidation, all three media, by Call the Midwife producer Neil Street. Um, and Sky's also bought themselves a, a US production company called Jupiter Entertainment. Uh, are there only going to be any independent production companies left in the UK uh, by the end of the year, Alan? Well, you're always going to get them because I, I actually think one of the greatest uh, things that happens in the UK is the continual renewal. In other words, someone leaving a network and starting up. I mean, and, and, and if we lose that, we lose the absolute seed corn of uh, creativity here. You know, the stats show that actually the fastest growing companies are the small ones. You know, once you get to a super indie, it really begins to plateau out. So there will always be continuous regeneration. I mean, I think it's more interesting for sort of medium-sized companies like Laura and my own. In other words, when do you take an offer and who from? Because obviously, with all the press we both get and one thing and another, the telephone does ring occasionally. And you're always sort of balancing whether the, let's put it, uh, the stabilisation of cash flow is uh, a useful trade-off against, uh, you know, having to meet their particular P&L margins and what they want you to do. So that's a bit of a tension, isn't it, Laura? Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think, you know, the reasons for consolidation are multiple and various. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a really tough climate out there. It's really hard to be small. It's really hard to be medium. It's really hard to be large. Therefore, I think consolidation, it can be a really positive part of what's going on. I don't think it's always to be regarded as a negative. It will be a trend that we continue to see. But what's really crucial is that we have an environment where people can start up and where startups can grow. And stuff like the terms of trade has really enabled startups to thrive. So at the moment, you know, we're doing a lot of work to kind of try and not threaten the terms of trade because, you know, lose that and this lovely ecosystem that we have can wobble. Yeah, of course. And we've seen recent weeks, uh, Channel 4 and, and Channel 5 particularly come out and, and say they want to uh, to change the terms of trade to a size-based approach uh, with uh, SME being the, uh, the definition. What do you make of that? I think it's anti-competitive and I think it's also would disincentivize people to grow. But I also think it's a divide and rule kind of approach to the industry. What's important is that we all stand together. We compete against each other and I think we can have healthy competition between rivals but who still believe in some of the same things. Dividing up and saying you're small, you're medium, you're large. Uh, who, who decides what's small, what's medium, what's large? It, it just seems to be pointing in the wrong direction really. Do you think they're just trying to negotiate a better deal for themselves? Yes, they want more rights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole issue wouldn't exist without the licence fee because the licence fee is, after all, public money and that's why the whole issue exists. In other words, uh, what do you use the licence fee for, which is, you know, fundamentally at the, the, the back of this. And my view is that, you know, you can contort yourself in knots and sort of manipulate markets in different ways. And this is just a proposal for manipulating the market in a different way that happens to suit some people. But at the end of the day, I think you have to come back and say in such a competitive market where there is hardly any, I can't think of any market failure to provide certain types of programming, do we really still want the licence fee in the same way? This is where Laura and I will disagree, but that's <laughs> what I think. OK, so talking of rights, uh, we take a, a short trip to uh, to Cannes ahead of MIP TV, which starts next week. Uh, are both of you guys going to going to the event? 
Uh, I'm not going next week, but we have a new format launching. Hattrick are launching our new competitive gardening format, Show Me Your Garden. So they'll do an amazing job selling it. So no, I'm not going to go. You'll leave it to them to try and score some sales of, of the show. Indeed. Yeah. And Alan, is uh, is MIP still an important place for, for British producers? I, I am going, but it's decreasingly important. I mean, I, as you can gather, because we're doing, you know, four series for America at the moment, I live on transatlantic flights. Uh, but I'm going to MIP because... You know, we work very closely with big distributors and you kind of have to show the flag with them because at the end of the day, it's the dilemma of a distributor. They've got all the contacts. They're very good at selling, but there's no substitute for the passion of a producer's eyes when it comes to launching a series. So we'll be launching some series down there. And I I, I like helping the distributors out with sales because you get feedback. You know, you get an idea of, you know, what's really taking off and what isn't. And um We've got this series, Animal Black Ops, which uh, ITV are selling. Uh, well, it's it's going very well, so I will be down there to support them for that. But the problem with MIP is the absence of the Americans now. It's not as useful for a producer. It's, it's reverted to being a distributor's uh, channel selling fest, which was its origin. So it's kind of diminished. MIPCon's the big one. And finally this week, uh, it's our commission of the fortnight. Uh, Lenny Henry is taking to the road to find a black British blues singer in a new three-part Sky Arts commission. Uh, Laura, is this something that you'd watch, Lenny Henry singing the blues? I would absolutely watch it. It seems like a really great mixture of music, really stellar interviews and a documentary journey that probably is going to ask some really interesting questions. But I think the fact that he's exploring race as a background rather than as a foreground, you know, it is really interesting and perfect for that channel. You think it makes it accessible for, for people to, to, to enter that type of show? Yeah, it does. And I've not seen Lenny Henry sing the blues and I'd like to. Uh, Alan, any interest in, in the blues? Well, what interests me is uh, what the market provides spontaneously. So good for Lenny for doing something on the blues and the fact there's no famous black British blues singer, but also that Sky Arts exists because that's being done by an entirely commercial channel. No other network, particularly terrestrial ones, supply an arts channel. I say good on them, and they've got two of them, you know. So I, 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 I like all this diversity produced by rampant capitalism. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> and talking of, it's a travel log. It's, it's Lenny taking to the road. Uh, how hard is it to encourage talent to, to sign up for travel logs? There's a few of them on the television at the moment. Well, I mean, there, there's, there's a travel log with a celebrity on every single channel in the UK. So I don't think it's necessarily that hard to get celebs to sign up for that. But I think looking at the list of stars that he's attracting to the programme, I mean, this doesn't seem to just be somebody maundering around the countryside. This is, you know, Lenny on a subject that he really cares about, pulling, you know, favours and getting sort of A-list names. And I think that's what will lift this above the norm. Yeah. Alan, any celebrities you'd like to send out with your Black Ops crew? We've got an ex-SAS guy called Spud who has a terrific sense of humour and, uh, you know, I'd really like to get into talent development and use his worldly wisdom about eating spiders in the jungle to do something with. But no, I think the celebrity thing is a bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, I really... This is this is the, the something the Americans are very clear and good about. They say celebrity shows don't work fronting programmes for this reason that if they don't go back home and do what they're doing on the screen for a living the audience immediately perceives them to be now here's an American uh, channel word inauthentic so they will rule the series out as inauthentic and they're right because the audience is particularly in the states reject it now 
And of course, one of the trends over in America at the moment is a big rejection of reality TV because it's considered to be inauthentic. But I expect we'll be speaking more about that later. Yeah, we'll take that another time. So that's the news for this episode. Thank you very much to Laura and Alan. Next up, Soren Sveistrup is the creator of The Killing. The publicity-shy writer talked to me about the making of the Danish crime drama, as well as his own production company, Sam Productions. Before we hear from Soren, let's hear a clip from the show. I don't know where they went. We had to them here, and then... We tried to get into them. What did Sarah Lund say? She came just suddenly and took my sister with her. They said nothing about where they went. We agreed that that we wanted to have the liberty to develop whatever we felt like. I mean, mm-hmm. so that was really, of course, uh, Studio Canal was very anxious to uh, hear what we thought about the uh, the TV market and what we were thinking about doing in the future. And uh, but actually, uh, Sam Production is we are allowed to do whatever we want to do. So mm-hmm. that premise of the, the company was that that everything should be playful. And one of the ingredients in the in the deal was that we were allowed also to do local. Shows, mm-hmm. uh, movies, if you want to do that. So, so some of our projects um, are Danish mm-hmm. or Swedish or Norwegian, uh, and and some then are in German or in English or in French. Uh, actually, the fun is, of course, that you can develop so many things. I mean, you can. I don't have to do only crime stuff. I can also, you know, do a romantic uh, comedy thing if I want to do that, or I can do something. Uh, even more sinister than, than a crime uh, story. Uh, that's really the the, the flexibility uh, in the company so far that that we are allowed to do different things. And you know, I th- I think that the, the most important thing is that if, when you wake up in the morning, you can do what you want to do. If if you want to follow a story about a historical piece about children in a certain situation, you can do that. Of course. Eventually, somebody will have to say yes to buy it. But in theory, you can develop any kind of story and hopefully get it uh, produced too. Before the killing, you you'd done some romantic things, Nicholas and Julie, right? So you weren't mm. necessarily known just for for, for crime. Yes, that, that one has actually just uh, been uh, you know picked out to uh, to remake in in the U.S. Even though oh, it's it? a show, yes, it's, oh. and they're doing a pilot now. So there's a few steps before uh, a green light, I guess. And you're doing some in English language, you said. Uh, yes, we're doing an English language, or we have sometimes it, it's a Danish writer or myself. You can get a translator to do it. So it's, uh, but yes, we're also doing uh, many of our projects are in English. The thing is that some stories are local, yes, but the most in- interesting stories, I think, often are those are the stories that are you know universally understood. You know, the killing was not yes, it's a local show, but actually it was never intended to be that local. It was just, you know, Copenhagen was the arena and the mm-hmm. the background for the story, but everything was about the, the loss of a, a child and, and how yeah. to overcome it and how to, you know, uh, fight uh, the struggles and so on. And I knew that that, that was a kind of, that was more a typical story, actually, or a, 
And when you find that kind of story, you know, it, it doesn't really matter if you're Swedish or Danish or English or, you know, South African, because when you, there's something universal about it. And I think that's the, I think actually that's uh, one of Adam's uh, gifts too, that he's, uh, he's, he's uh, thinking that way. It has been that way also, you know, the other way around for many years. I mean, mm -hmm. or, or the Americans or the, you know, the English, uh, we've watched, uh, you know, American shows and English show for many, many, many years. So we're so used to it. So the new thing is, I guess, uh, was that, that the, uh, the Scandinavian way contributed to, to that kind of soldier. Is there a lot of pressure to follow up a, a show like The Killing or, in Adam's case, Borgen? Is there, is there a lot of pressure? There's, of course, the, the pressure you put on yourself, yeah. always. Uh, because, you know, everybody knows that that was one show or those shows, they, they were all right, and, uh, and now we do something different. And of course, you, you're always trying to do something different because you can't wake up brushing the, uh, the same tooth every morning. You have to, you know, do something else. So um, I, I think it's, it, it comes uh, quite natural. But, you know, if you ask me, sometimes I, I can miss Sarah Lund, so, which is good, which is good for me because, yeah. uh, you know, in, in the end, I didn't miss her. You know, I, I was really, you know, because there were so many years uh, working with yeah. her that character, so you need some uh, fresh air. That was Soren Sveistrup speaking to me earlier this week. You can read the full interview in next week's broadcast. Laura and Alan are still here with me to cast an eye over two upcoming shows. We will start with Tatao, the latest and possibly last drama to air on BBC Three. Produced by Zodiac's Touch Paper Television, who made Being Human, and all three media South Pacific Pictures, it follows two 20-something friends from London, Kyle Connor and Pete Budgie Griffiths, who travel the world and end up in the Cook Islands. Once there, Connor, who's recently got a mystical Maori-style tattoo, thinks he has seized the body of a local girl tied up underwater. But when he returns with the police, the body has disappeared. In this clip, having taken a local drug the night before, one of the boys wakes up in bed with a stranger. Good morning, my friend. How are you feeling? I'm a bit freaked out, mate. I'm kind of needing an explanation. Obviously, we slept together. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so, Tom. No, thank you. I'm straight. Whoa. I said we slept together, that's all. You were feverish. You were shivering all over, man. And to make sure you kept warm. Are you always this homophobic? Never. Never let live, mate. That's my philosophy. <laughs> I just love the English. They're so uptight about so little. What do you mean, little? Laura, what did you make of this? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good fun, great romp. It's a sort of world that you don't really often see on British television in that, you know, young people going out and having experiences far, far, far away from home. It feels like something we haven't seen for a long time. As to whether this could take the place of In the Flesh, I doubt it because I think that the relatability of the environment that In the Flesh is set in, but then the kind of really out there happenings is really compelling for a British audience. And I suppose my hesitation around this will be, will this be as compelling for a British audience? But God, it looked gorgeous and uh, I was highly entertained. Alan? Now, they're moving BBC Three online because of the expense of the channel, aren't they? Well, we, 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 we infer they're proposing. They're, they're, proposing. they're proposing to. So what are they doing shooting dramas in which could be shot in Norfolk in the Cook Islands? 
I mean, this is what got me. I mean, you could easily rewrite that script so it's done in Norfolk. You Are know, you sure? This... It sounds like Laura was saying that actually the, 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 the reason that she enjoyed it was because of where it was shot. Oh, no, I'm not saying that's entirely why I enjoyed it, but that was that was part of the appeal. But I think you could have tried... I think it would possibly do better as a programme if it had been set in Norfolk. Yeah, I agree Because with you. Yeah. then people would think... You know, actually, this does relate to me in my life, and people are taking hallucinogens in, you know, strange warehouses in Norfolk. But you know, it, it's always nice to look at palm trees. It's almost uh, getting me onto one of my pet topics: the pernicious influence of subsidy, isn't it? In other words, most drama nowadays tends towards a price point of a million an hour because that's where the big grants kick in. And I noticed that the New Zealand government was involved in financing that in some way. Yep. And talking about diversity, I'm a great uh, supporter of diversity in broadcasting. Let's have diversity of price points. <laughs> Why can't you make any more a drama for 300,000? answer is because you don't get the tax kicks. I mean, it's crazy so that you're forced to, you know, make it as glossy as possible to hit that grant point. I mean, it's madness, absolute madness. It is one of the difficulties with this you mentioned in The Flesh is that BBC Three, until it goes online, uh, possibly, only has room for one drama. So they had to make a decision as to whether they were going to do In The Flesh the next series or a new show, and they chose this show. I mean, I am a fan of In The Flesh, so I think it's a shame that they didn't continue with that drama. And I think one of the challenges of British telly, but it's also one of the attractive things, is that they don't commission series after series. So when you're a fan, you want to watch things much more in the American style. You don't want two series of something, actually. You want six series of something because you're invested, you care about the characters you've brought into the storyline. And so for me, that's a shame. When something is a hit, why can't you continue with it? The flip side of that is, of course, if you have a channel ecology where you're constantly refreshing and constantly playing, you get lots of new talent, lots of new brands, lots of experimentation, which in other territories in the world you don't necessarily have. But I would have liked to have seen in the flesh continue for a range more series. And I think it takes a, a, a confidence to continue, really. Laura made a very important point there, which is the unwillingness to do long run series here generally. I mean, in factual as well. I mean, we really only do 10 part series. And the reason is because that, you know, if it hits a, a rating, and most of ours do, it supports that channel on a kind of ratings pier on that slot on that night, you know. And what what always amazes me is that you, you could make channels here much cheaper if you went over to that model, because, you know, you could make, like we do, stuff for 120000 an hour, and that's really going to support the channel, you know. You know, we know it works in America. We know it works on pay TV. We know they get enormous audiences. And yet, you know, we sit here, channel controllers, not really looking at models that work. OK, moving on. Tatao launches on 12th of April on BBC Three. Last up this week is the second series of Channel 4's The Island with Bear Grylls. This time around, Bear is joined by a group of women who also must fend for themselves on a separate island to a group of men. After landing on the island, the women trek through the vegetation, looking for a place to sleep before nightfall. And a quick warning, the scene contains some naughty language. Guys, be really careful when you come in on this trail. Still going up. Go on, keep going. <laughs> Need to get the fuck <laughs> oh. Right, stay still, oh. we've got dinner. Oh what is it? Snake. snake. Oh. 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 It's right near me. A huge fucking snake came it's towards fine. me. I think what you need to do... Fucking hell! Right, it's going up the tree, girls. Shall I just chop its head off? <laughs> Shall she just chop its head off, Laura? 
It was just wonderful. It was just wonderful. There were laugh out loud moments. There were shout at the screen moments where you wanted to say, you stupid idiot, why are you doing that? I mean, I have to say I have maximum respect for the crews that are working on those shows because that has got to be one of the toughest gigs that you could possibly take. Wow. I mean, they really are doing it. And I have to say, I enjoyed this series. I I enjoyed the first series of The Island. I thought this one, having the men and the women, was a genius stroke of formatting, commissioning. Um, uh, It's it's utterly brilliant. Are you glad they're separated or would you have liked to have seen the men and the women on the same island? Well, they've got to save something for series three. (laughs) Alan, what uh, what did you make of this? Well, I think this is a breakthrough anthropological study because for the first time they've managed to prove that a group of people without any sleep, four days sleep, without any food and any water, will prefer to go on filming. This is a massive breakthrough. You know, there's never been a study like this before. And so and they didn't seem to be stuck for material, did they? So that even, you know, when they're facing, they're knocking on heaven's door, the cameras are still rolling. I mean, can you think of the budget uh, savings you could make on something like 24 hours of A&E? You know, while you're going into A&E, you hand someone a camera and say, oh, can you incidentally, you know, preserve this for posterity? It is an amazing breakthrough. They made more of the fact that they were filming it themselves this season, didn't they? I think they had to be honest and upfront about that. I mean, they did they did make it clear last series, but I think given that four of, the t- of each team is a professional camera people, producers, directors, I think they were upfront about it and I don't think it affected the viewing experience at all um everyone was in there it was a it was a group of people they cast it extremely well i mean i i know one of the people on the the female island and she's a you know fee cotter craig just a, a remarkable producer but also a great character so to put her in there in the group was brilliant it was brilliant casting she's the woman that leads them off up into the uh... yes, she gonna, does <laughs> I, I was going to say this is to use a fancy word this is heisenberg's uncertainty principle which is how far when you observe something does it change it you know and i have to say that one begins to get a bit queasy when it's the camera woman leading them off in the wrong direction uh, but showing her sort of alpha femaleness and you think well hang on this is the observer dealing with the observed so there's something very strange going on there in terms of a format I think. Are we hitting peak bear? He seems to be on our televisions quite a lot at the moment. Yeah which channel isn't he on? It would be easier to publish where he's not scheduled wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Have you uh, have you tried to pitch a show with Bear Grylls in it Laura? I haven't I think enough people are pitching shows with Bear Grylls. Do we think that that sort of idea of survival in the states where there's a lot naked and afraid and, and and those types of shows, and it seems that that sort of survival is coming back uh, back to Britain. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fascinating. You know, we live in a world where we're, we're all computerised, we're all on our phones the whole time. So what's interesting to us is to imagine what life would be without all of that. And I think that remains a really compelling story. It's a really compelling narrative. I think the island have done it brilliantly. And I think this is going to be perennially interesting. I mean, in America, they've just picked up the island as well. You know, it'll be interesting to see how they treat it and whether they do it exactly the same or they do it slightly differently. But I think people are fascinated in this, and rightly so. I can give you an insight. They'll set it in Alaska, because Alaska has now been converted into a vast film studio (laughs) where all American survival series are run. And there is actually, whatever they did in Alaska before, you know, gold panning or catching bears, that doesn't exist anymore. It's been wiped out by film crews tripping over each other. So that's where it's going. (laughs) This week we've seen uh, the Edinburgh International TV Festival uh, uh, launching uh, Big Brother for TV execs uh, for for this August. 
August. Uh, do you think next year, Laura, we might might see some of the commissioners going into the island? I would love to see that, but I think you would have to be a very, very, very brave individual to take that on. Alan, uh, can you see any of your uh, your colleagues going into uh, going into the South Pacific? Well, actually, I mean, I've just had four crews come back from Thailand, Kenya, Uganda, and the Ugandan crew wanted to go across to the Congo, and it was senior management that restrained them uh, because we said the Foreign Office says don't travel here. So. I think we're better sending, you know, the people actually making their films, the brilliant young people who populate the uh, UK television industry. They've, <laughs> they've got the hunger and they do it so much better than people of my age. The Island with Bear Grylls returns on April 8th and April 9th on Channel 4. Thank you very much to my guests Laura Mansfield and Alan Griffiths. We'll be back in a fortnight when hopefully Jake will have finished moving house. Until then, I've been Peter White and the producer was Matt Hill. Thank you and good night. You've been listening to Broadcast, talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 